0: You're listening to 2.23am with Dr. Christine McDougall. Are you ready for a new kind of success and fulfillment? End the silent struggle. Join us as Dr. Christine McDougall speaks to successful, high-achieving men as they share their journey towards a more fulfilling and sustainable life and business and discover the better alternative. It's 2.23am and the life of your future is calling.
1: Ordained Zen priest, CEO of Common, husband to Marlene, dad to two girls, today's conversation with Mark Eckhart begins with a question that finds its full answer by the end of the conversation. At Common, a creative accelerator and community for social enterprises and projects, Mark advises a wide range of businesses spanning 20 countries and 25 industries, using a blend of leadership development and organizational design methodologies. He is the creator of the Maniacal Business Attack, an immersive strategic process that aligns intent with action in the marketplace, and has been called on to help senior leadership at brands such as Calvin Klein, Taco Bell, and Warner Brothers to create new approaches to leadership and responsive systems for operating responsibly in complex market conditions. Mark is a classical composer and lover of tractors. He studied Zen Buddhism under the auspices of Bill Yoshin Jordan, abbot of the Santa Monica Zen Center from 1997 to 2011. He took his first set of priest vows in 2007 and completed his full ordination in 2008. He currently resides in Los Angeles. To learn more about Common, go to common.is. All the links to everything mentioned in this interview can be found in the show notes at 223am.com. Please enjoy this episode. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Christine. It's good to be here.
1: Very good. So, as you know, this conversation is an exploration of what it means to be a man in today's world, which is a complex world for men and women. I'm going to uh, open with the question: uh, What does it? What does healthy masculinity mean to you?
0: Really? You're going to?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what? Time in. Jump in. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, so much for the warm-up band. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. Take a deep breath. Take a
1: deep breath. Here you go. Healthy masculinity. Yeah.
0: Um, healthy masculinity uh, at, at this point in time uh, looks like turning within introspection, self-examination, and admission.
1: Mm-hmm. Admission, that's an interesting word.
0: Yes, um, I knew you were going to go right there. I, I think that without getting too meta, if that's, if that's the right um, word, I, I just think that for too long, uh, we men have been fortunate enough, and I'm using the word fortunate uh, the phrase "fortunate enough" intentionally to kind of do an end around on uh, on the work that we need to do, and um, we have survived and thrived um, with you know kind of a singular or lone wolf mentality, and that, as uh, we are experiencing out in the world, has caught up with us.
1: How so? How how do you see that caught up with us?
0: I'm seeing. I'm going to speak in generalities here, and yes. of course, yeah. I don't have the data to back this up. But I'm just seeing that overall, you know, the majority of uh, the male species, human male species, is just just has not been not been called on to do the work necessary to really meet the world where it's at. And, and other humans where they are at in, in a way that is, is forwarding. And so for me, masculinity uh, at this point in time is obviously requires that work, but it also, it all, it also carries a thread uh, and uh, a thread of this kind of sadness and grief that's specific to masculinity.
1: Okay. So, so can you speak a little bit more about that? Obviously, all from your personal experience around this. Why would sadness and grief be something that arises for you when you look at masculinity for you personally?
0: Uh, I per- When I look at masculinity, I, I cannot decouple from... You know, you could look at climate, you could look at economic disparity, you can just look at, you know, day-to-day life and, 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 and people that pass you by every day and and not feel that somehow, some way that you've contributed to the condition that we're in. So, for example, earlier today, I was out at at, at Costco and I hate Costco. I, I, mm-hmm. I think it's just, it just, I you know, it makes my the skin crawl mm-hmm. on the back of my neck. But as I was, um, I was there alone, usually I'm there with my wife and she's dragging me around through the aisles and throwing stuff at me to, to put in the basket and to maneuver. So I was there and I was looking around at the people and I just saw, I saw a lot of beauty, but I mm-hmm. saw more sadness and despair. Mm-hmm. And as, as, as a man, Given the cultural conversation and narratives, it's just hard not to feel or assume some responsibility for that or some, or feel some sense of failure. Do
1: hmm. do you, do you, uh, do you sense that this is something that is arising, in, in, in maybe not in the majority of the population, but this is something that is arising within men to a degree?
0: I think so. And I think it's particularly acute for me right now because, Christine, we haven't had a chance to talk about this. But uh, about six weeks ago, I was diagnosed with PTS, post traumatic stress. And, you know, some folks add the D there for disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I'm currently in my own process of going back and peeling back the layers and just seeing the many different types of trauma and areas and sources of trauma or triggers or causes of trauma that that are just now baked into my DNA. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly determined who I have been being out in the world. And I, I regard myself as kind of a decent guy, but I'm even seeing to the degree to which uh, this whole notion of man and masculinity has limited my ability to to really see the implications of having experienced trauma and how wow. that gets expressed out in the world.
1: Wow. And, and so was your, the, the was there a, a single incident that caused the um, PTS or was it something that was accumulating over time from your point of view?
0: Well, it's certainly the sum total of my life experience started from starting from, you know, being adopted. So being handed over, uh, you know, at, yeah. the, at the moment of birth to, being an African American guy adopted into a white family. So difference in race and ethnicity has always been an issue. It's been predominantly very positive, but certainly there's stuff around that. Um, Certainly my fair share of just poor choices in terms of partners and relationships. But if I can can identify kind of like the big hit, this is gonna blow you away. It Hmm. takes me right back to my Zen Buddhist training.
1: Right, wow.
0: And the thing that's interesting, and this is why I'm, I think I'm able to speak into what's happening in the world, whether it be socially or politically or financially or with climate and environment and ecology, and, and with a little confidence and a little self-assuredness, because the, the hits I took at the Zen Center were baited, uh, based and very much rooted in neo- neoliberal thinking in that whole form of dominant masculinity. Right. So that's why I started by saying that we are at a point where men and masculinity needs to self-reflect.
1: So you're saying that the, that you're being involved with the, a Zen Buddhist practice and a Zen Buddhist community, that there was some something baked into that that represented the dominant masculine sort of Historical thing that's been going on for a very long time that was significant enough to cause you uh, some form of PTS
0: Yeah, there's a few components. So I'll break them out.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay
0: Zen Buddhist training is inherently very patriarchal
1: Right Okay. So,
0: so right there, you 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 have it from the beginnings, from the origins. In my particular case, I trained at a Zen center that was led by um, a gentleman who I I perceived to have had kind of a a reawakening uh, around he, who he is and his yeah. values and his belief system, which ultimately. Uh, are ultra, ultra conservative. So I, I, back in 2000 starting 2008, uh, when Obama was elected all the way, you know, <laughs> until shutting down the Zen center, I got a like an early dose of what we're going through at least here in the U S and mm-hmm. certainly in other, other parts of Europe. And it is patriarchal patriarchal and masculine, um, the masculinity run amok.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going to the larger global context of this, do you see that because when I look at it, I, I go, I, I actually have hope for because I see it as uh, usually before the 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 light comes through, there is <laughs> the most darkness. <laughs> and so I look at the what's going on in the world and, and just the displays of blatant dominant patriarchal systems and I go well this is this is what it's doing is it's causing an uprising of people going we can't keep doing this anymore and people who may have been silent for a long time are stepping up and speaking and so I look at it and go I believe this is the last vestiges of it do do you have a similar sort of experience or do you think that we're going to be hanging in this space for a little longer (laughs)
0: Um, I, I think we're certainly going to be in the space for a little longer, but I'm not a, a doomsday. I, I think that I, I just think we're going to have to come to terms with, with with some of this stuff or enough of this stuff. I mean, there's really no, no option, you know, the resources aren't there. I mean, it's just not possible. This isn't sustainable. So I think that that we will see more and more men kind of forced into this self-inquiry around um, and specifically about their masculinity because they're going to be forced to approach life differently just for survival, for very yeah. simple, basic survival reasons.
1: Yeah. 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 I, 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 nature has a good way of doing that to us.
0: Boy, <laughs> doesn't <it>? she?
1: <laughs> going, well, you guys think that you're smarter than me, but I'm going to just do a storm thing and then you'll figure out who's got power here.
0: Yeah. 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 I think very naturally we're going to see things, you know, structures and the way people convene and the way people work together and survive together shifting. And, you know, I, again, I don't mean to be negative in the doomsday here, but if you just look at the, you know, the the rise in, you know, you know, global temperature, you know, we're, we're not going to stay below that at 4%. We're going to go above that 4% and coastal regions are going to be affected. You know, you know, there's going to be hotter temperatures inland and things like that. And that's going to disrupt economies. That's going to, you know, just raise a whole set of questions and present a whole set of new kinds of needs that will force uh, uh, and require, and will call for another expression of masculinity.
1: Right. <laughs> that hopefully doesn't look like The Handmaid's Tale. Exactly. Yeah. Yes.
0: Fingers crossed there.
1: Yeah. Which I can't watch because it would just upset me too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I really can't. And so do you, um, do, so going back to your PTS, did you, did you have an awareness of, that that was sitting there with you through any experience prior to the diagnosis, or i mean so so another way of asking this question have you struggled with with in parenthesis the dark night or those sort of those darker sort of elements prior to the, prior to having the, an awareness that that you have suffered from some form of trauma?
0: I have experienced um you know depression, so yes. that is in my history, but i've never. I've never been in conversation with family members or experts to the degree that somebody said, "I think that you're suffering from trauma." I mean, I think that this is more than just depression; this actually mm-hmm. um, kind of a, an elevated condition that you're in. So, you know, if you ask my wife, she'll, without any hesitation, you know, share that you know she's just observed and experienced me, you know, steadily kind of declining in in just my expression. Uh, out in the world and my engagement and participation out in the world and that might be a little shocking for you because you know You and I've worked significantly together over the last year and you know how engaged I am But I I know if I'm being honest that there's a whole lot more that I was able to tap into Before the trauma caught
1: up with me Right, right. And so so what are what are you doing to to? manage move through um, confront, if anything, the, the trauma?
0: I am in therapy. I'm okay. working with a trauma uh, therapist, an expert. Uh, you know, we are in a very meticulous way, peeling back the layers and going back in and doing the work in order to kind of cut off or cotter the open mm-hmm. traumas. Uh, and I most recently met um, uh, a semi-retired uh, psychiatrist, you know, MD, by the name of Mark Golston, who happens to be a renowned suicide expert now I, I want to be very clear I'm, I'm, I'm not about to off myself i'm not going to jump <laughs> off of a cliff here right but in, in you know just through serendipity uh, I, I met him and, and, and started to form a relationship with him and he's passed on a couple of really really powerful podcasts one of which was an interview uh, where he was being interviewed and the other was him interviewing another a pastor but uh, you know dr. Goldston's just said a couple of things in his explanation of his work with people who were suicidal and, yes. and, he, and he unpacked the word despair. Yes. You know, and, and he kind of reframed it as an unpairing with life.
1: Yes. That's a very, very powerful positioning of despair.
0: Yeah. And when yeah. I heard that, you know, when the, the, the uselessness, the hopelessness, the helplessness, the meaningless, the it's not worth it. In, in the context of, of, of that definition of reframing, it was so, so powerful. And I could see how my trauma has certainly been a limiting factor in my ability to be paired with myself first and with other people in, in the world. And if there was ever a time for us to um, pair ourselves or to be paired yes. or to be in relationship, it's now, and so when I'm talking about this, this emerging version of masculinity, it's the ability to actually be paired and in relationship, present and fully responsive to what's going on and the implications of certain activities and behavior sets and patterns.
1: Yes, very nicely said. So I'll make sure that uh, we put the two podcasts that you mentioned in the, in the show notes, if, if you can help me with that. That'd be yeah, great. yeah, I'll, yeah. Send,
0: I'll send you the link for sure.
1: Very good. And so, on this on this sort of topic as well, uh, because I, it, it's very evident that there is a higher degree of suicide that is occurring at the moment. And uh, I was listening to some Australian statistics yesterday. Seventy five percent are male, um, and in Australia, they're largely the rural. So the farmers, the rural people, and I have clients that I work with who are fifth generation farmers and, and, and I know what, what happens in the rural, rural parts of Australia. And I'm actually, I'm actually about to publish a piece. I've been sitting on it for a while because it's somewhat controversial, but uh, looking at suicide as the canary in the gold mine, because The reason that farmers are suiciding in such high numbers is because the economic conditions under which they've been born and raised, often generationally, no longer support them. And then, of course, they have to deal with climate. So, so an example is that if you have a a property and you have seventy percent of the equity in that property, and the bank has thirty, that is not considered viable, and the banks are hounding you every single day. On top of that, add um. Uh, uncertain climate factors to that and so you are constantly living at the threat of losing losing everything and you can look at that and go okay so uh they're the conditions in which people are going i i don't see a way through this it comes back to your hopelessness and and helplessness and all of that sort of stuff and so part of what i'm (laughs) putting out in 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 my thinking is that a large part of the the rise in suicide is actually our warning system that the systems that are supporting humanity are really failing and it's not necessarily mental health it's actually just because people can't pay their bills or Mm -hmm. people can't they can 't they can 't see a way out of the insurmountableness of and there is obviously um, uh, mental health issues that go with this so i 'm not disqualifying that, but yeah, so I just see this as a rising a rising sign of of and, and on top of that, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, was that numbers are higher in men, and this points to the unspoken pieces of of masculinity, which is the inherent uh, belief that men should be the providers, and this is not just something. This is culturally conditioned. It's not just something that you're told you should be the provider. It's actually, if you're if you're not a good provider, then are you a good man? You know, there's the question. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, yeah. So the, there's some of the things that I'm 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 experiencing looking at this this subject. Uh, it's just so so important. So, is, is there anything that you want to sort of respond? That wasn't a question, obviously, but respond to that. What I've just said.
0: I, well, it's it's very powerful, and uh, it's just so interesting that you're you've been poking around in the world of farms and farmers. Um, you know, for for Commons work, I've been kind of looking at the way farmers have responded to um, vulnerability and volatility through you know cooperative action or collective resili- resilience is the word or phrase i'm using to describe it and so to hear that even even for those smart communities that come together and really work as neighbors and and as a community that the suicide rates are still quite high i mean i yeah i i i, I get it i get it and i i like this the notion of you know, the canary in the coal mine, because when people do not see options and and couple that with the inability to bear more pain, what do they do? They check out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, And on top of that, there is, and this is again, one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast. There is the the isolational sort of genetic code of masculinity. So masculinity obviously has the domination features and so on and so forth, Uh, but there is also the the traits of I can make it on my own and if I can't, you know, there's something wrong with me and that whole whole isolationist, heroic, uh, if I can't figure this out by myself, then I'm not a good man type of belief structure that we don't, we don't talk about and we need to talk about.
0: Yeah. Well, if you just kind of, if we just pretend, you know, and throw ourselves down the road a little bit by several years and things look very different and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a requirement that that we are working more collectively. It just raises the question based on what you just shared. Like, what is the role of men in that and how, how do men get acknowledged and appreciated if they're not necessarily going to be in the role of going out and you know slaying the lion and bringing the lion back?
1: Yes. And, and that's the, that's the conversation that I believe is so important because with the rise of feminism, which obviously needed to happen and, uh, and and with the natural sort of predilection of women to sit down around a table and talk about everything and anything, uh, right down to the bare bones of emotions and so on. And that's just a natural thing, which is not so natural, not so common in men, as I understand it. Uh, we have not had these conversations about what is the uh, we haven't created a space for there to be what does the future of the male female relationship look like what does the future roles of women and men together look like and so it's it's kind of this massive question mark that's just not being identified which i just feel is is a loss for young men how do they navigate that Yes. (laughs) yes yes Yeah. So, so what would you see? I mean, what, what, you, what would you see as a, a really lovely possibility in the future?
0: Um, I, I, I don't have granular clarity around that. So I'm going to give you a 35-foot answer or response. I think it begins with relinquishing power or the assumed right to power. Right. I think it begins there. And I don't know what it could look like or what it will look like or would look like after that, but that feels like the first step. And, and that's something I'm you know, working towards w- w- with Common, you know, as we move into our next phase. Um, you know, Again, our work together the last, the last year was very informative, learned a lot. And even though we didn't necessarily attain the, the goal, um, there's a lot of gold, a lot of golden nuggets to, to pull from and in, in, so mm-hmm. one, of the, one of those is me relinquishing more and more power.
1: So it's a, this is an interesting topic and, and this, uh, um, I will be releasing um, a podcast um, with Adam Jacoby who discusses power in a way that I've never come across it. Uh, but I was also listening to um, Bonita Roy speaking about power and she was saying power is who gets to move what. And then she was defining it and this is, this is because we have our own power inside, you know, that, that, that's a different subject matter and something that I believe has been overused, empowered, et cetera, et cetera. But who gets to move what and then within that is it's skills and resources over needs and wants. Mm-hmm. is how she's broken it down, and I and I think that's a really lovely uh, little model to look at and hold, hold because power in its in its own self isn't a bad thing. It's it's it is that statement that I think we need to dust off and bring out from the darkness, which is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so true. I was
1: thinking that yesterday. I was thinking. We need to get that out from from under the under. It's stored in the closet. We need to pull it out and put it in the light and have that have that story be told again. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. What what yeah. occurred to me though was you know the many times you've spoken to you know one's value and the different forms of value or you know in another context we're referring to it as capital and you know there's I think there's an important distinction to be to be made between. One's innate, God-given power, ability, um, yes. versus assumed or taken, and and I just think a lot of, um, you know, our inherited DNA and narrative just assumes that men are are to take power.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, and, and this is uh, so it's, it is actually one of the questions that I have here on my list of possible questions. What does power mean to you, and how how comfortable are you with power, and how do you see it uh, supporting a, f- a future that you want
0: It's a great question uh, the, the uh... It's such a good question. My mind just went totally
1: blank. <laughs> That's good. That's okay. Do you want me to repeat it? <laughs> yes. 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 So, so, what does power mean to you, and uh, how how would you like to see it create the type of future that you would want? And how do you how, what's your relationship with power? So, it's actually three questions in there, and you can answer all of them, or one of them, or any of them.
0: I'll start with what's my relationship to power. Um, I have uh, a history of uh, avoiding power uh, mm-hmm. and not fully stepping into power that's right and appropriate, and and that just goes to you know holes in my self confidence. I'm not one of these men or human beings or people out in the world who walk around with this constant sense of confidence and capability and know-how, I, I tend to find um, those moments or tend to drop into power only by engaging with people. So that kind of limited self-narrative um, based on insufficiency only really fully drops away unless I'm fully engaged with people or in, in, in activity mm-hmm so because there's that narrative I'm always reluctant to step into power or to assume power um, because it doesn't feel natural I don't feel qualified for it and so I'm always kind of amazed that there are people out in the world that just oh yeah you know this is who I am and boom without any second thought so it's it's and this is just something new that I'm starting to see you know I've always for whatever reason, been um, ended up in in leadership roles or roles that have uh, you know significant um, power uh, bonded or associated with them, but it's never felt natural uh, as a concept, only only as kind of an absolute activity does it feel real and trustworthy. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of things just before we jump off that that particular part of the question. Uh, qualified for it, uh, which I found was an interesting reference, and they don't feel qualified for it. Who is qualified for it, by the way, in your world?
0: Well, from the outside looking in, you know, I'll, I'll just use Barack Obama. I mean, yeah. he seemed, he seemed very naturally wired for power and authority. But, again, that's that's an outsider's perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it's interesting because if if you look at someone like Barack Obama, I would go his, his and I don't know him either, so both you and I are speaking uh, <laughs> yeah. about someone um, from that place, but it, it seemed to me that he, it, not only was it a natural expression, it was literally, it was just him being him. Yeah. A, 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 there wasn't a... Uh, it, it it wasn't a horse that had bolted <laughs> that needed someone to put the reins on, so it wasn't this c- crazy wild egoic maniac yeah. uh and it it and it and it also wasn't um entirely contained either it was just this natural expression to me that is power is being fully who you are uh and and not actually staying silent or um, uh, presenting a part of yourself partially to the world. It's it's a whole, quality of wholeness is what I see power in it in our expression as individuals. And, ah, uh, and and so the other piece of this that I was looking at was that you said trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess this is also potentially a dilemma. For men, and I wonder if you relate to this, which is because men uh, have a higher degree of physicality than women, <laughs> we know that, not arguing with that, and it is general, but it's fairly, fairly common, then to, to be fully in your power and or to move to rage and anger could also mean doing harm. And so there can be, there can be a a self limiter on that because to discover the full scope of power, moving to rage and anger could actually be something that's terrifying. If we haven't looked at how it might harm people.
0: Man, you had to go there, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is, this is an important topic. Our area of discussion. And I'm gonna add in the layer of race here and being an African-American man. Right. Starting as uh, just a man. Yeah. I think it is fair to assume, and it's fair to say that the majority of men out there in the world do suppress anger and rage. Now through media and communications, you know, reporting and journalism, we we also see a pretty, pretty healthy dose and amount of, of that stuff um, kind of sprayed about in, in very harmful and destructive manners. But I think that to be a man, particularly in this point in time, you are just, you have no option but to kind of sit on your own anger and rage. As a black man. Yeah. I certainly have my fair share of that um, Mm. given just the way our world regards people of color. And in the last year in particular, I have become more and more aware of the effects and the implications of my skin, specifically around the way people are, are interacting with me or choose not to interact with me. It's unfortunately with our current administration in the United States, I'm, I'm able and willing to say that people have been given license to interact with me in ways that I've never experienced. I've had people yell at me, uh, out of their car window, uh, within my neighborhood, you know, within two to three blocks away from my home saying, Hey, Negro, you don't belong here. Get out. I've been pulled over, you know, in the last couple of months. uh, yeah, I've been, been pulled over to the curb in my car in the last couple of months on a phone call and had the police called, the private security companies called. I was in Malibu recently and uh, pulled over on a side street, wide open field, and, and within the period of five minutes of being on the phone call I was on, four people approached me and inquired why I was there. Mm. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm kind of the golden boy in the sense that I haven't dealt with the harsh stuff, but there is nowhere and i've yet to meet many people who could handle a full expression a safe and appropriate but full expression of my anger or my rage
1: right yeah so you're speaking you're speaking to a a dormant volcano really essentially that is is uh, uh well it's not really dormant anymore <laughs> it doesn't sound like it sounds like it's there's rumbles there's rumbles in the volcano and and add you take you and multiply that by I don't know way too many people not just in the United States but all around the world and we have that's what that's what we're facing we've got uh, i mean i 've been talking about the potential of a civil war in the United States for a number of years, but we 've got that potential everywhere we 've got that potential of just people just going rogue yeah. and and so it raises the question of of finding healthy pathways to channel that uh, to 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 take that rage and anger and transmute it in a way that is both positive but also allows it to flow without doing destruction to things that matter to us yeah. Yes. Uh, so is that something that you've considered? Have you considered installing a, a um, a boxing <laughs> <laughs> whatever, or, you know, something like that?
0: <laughs> I, I, I haven't, but you're, I think you're spot on. I think, you know, activity, particularly physical activity <laughs> is, is, is a good release valve for, for that. Um, but also being in relationship with other men, which is something that, um, I'm now consciously and actively pursuing, you know, Philip Folsom, who is part of the common community and, you know, he's a cultural anthropologist and, you know, somebody who's an expert in, you know, trauma and, and things like that. He's, he's uh, you know, taking on a more and more important role in, in, in my life. It's the isolation that, that, and the lack of movement that ultimately keeps things kind of bottled up
1: yeah and so so yes because because anger and rage is an energy and energy flows and so if you're containing it if you're keeping it stuck uh dammed up then it then there, it only has one way to go which is to become the volcano that just and and that'll explode on a time frame that is not your own <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: when that happens so to keep it moving is really important and I'd love to, to now look at this uh, because that's another one of the questions that I have is is conversations with other men and and communities with other men and so on is that something that you it sounds like you're cultivating now have you cultivated communities of of men where uh, you you there is the opportunity and the openness to talk about Everything?
0: Yeah. Fortunately, um, throughout my entire adult life, there have been men who were friends and men who were mentors where I have had that level of relationship and that right. level of trust. You know, I, uh, you know, in going through, you know, my, my bouts have become separated. There's that unpairing thing again. And now recognizing the need to, 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 Get get repaired or to repair.
1: Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, so it sounds like with Philip that you're also moving into this um, as a very conscious sort of effort of uh, communities of communities of relationship with with other men to even have some of the conversations that we're having here. Oh yeah. As, yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and, you know, when I, I, I met uh, Dr. Golston, you know, Dr. Mark, you know, part of the conversation was about just mentorship. Yes. Flat out mentorship without, you know, any ulterior motive. Yes. And, um, you know, that's that's something that uh, I've, I've had in the past and it's been wonderful and uh, usually through sports or as a you know an up and coming an aspiring professional musician, there was always you know in the form of a coach. But mentorship is something that, uh, at least in my life, I've just kind of lost sight of, and and the important role that it plays within a community and, and in the lives of individuals. And so, mm-hmm. very very excited to see that kind of reemerging in my front view mirror, or front you know front view here.
1: Very good, very nice. So you're a father of girls.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what does that mean to you now in this current environment, being a, being a dad of... And, and has, since you've become a father, has your perception of what it means to be a father, particularly of, of two um, girls, um, has that changed in, during that time?
0: Uh, so I... I never had the calling to become a parent or a father. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my wife had that. And, and so we started a family uh, as a way of fulfilling on, on, on that part of herself that had, you know, kind of awoken. And so my relationship to the girls and being a parent has is, is, is always felt awkward to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know ill equipped underprepared n- not necessarily uh, well well suited, but I am very aware of the challenges of raising kids and certainly little girls in in culture at this point in time. It's moving so fast, and the things that the girls have exposure to and the things that they're seeing on you know their iPads and various displays throughout the house and Conversations that they're even having with their 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 friends at school. I mean, my girls are in uh, my oldest girl is in second grade, and uh, our youngest is is in kindergarten. And it's just like, man, I mean, how how do you deal with this in a large metropolitan metropolitan area like Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's a it's scary to be honest. Yes,
1: yes, yeah. yes. And so, what do you what are you most concerned? For them, what's your greatest concern f- for them?
0: That I fail in preparing them to stand the, on their own two feet.
1: Okay. I, knowing you, I hardly find that likely that you will do that.
0: <laughs> I, 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 um, I just see the world changing so fast. Yes. Um, and in, in complexity, increasing so much that, like, what do kids really need? What are they going to need to have some mastery around in order to interpret what's going on around them and to, to progress in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I just... The my like if you look at my parents when I was younger and growing up the world was much more certain It was moving so much slower you know yeah. they knew if I did A B C D E I would come out you know okay and not a butthead yes right now I don't think it's a linear thing when it comes to raising kids I don't think you go A B C anymore I think you go from A to G then back to C and then maybe over to you know W and then back to F.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a very, very um, uncertain world. And I don't think any of us have the map, which is why, uh, which is also where a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the, the potential for human frailty breakdown and so on arises. I, I saw, um, I read an article by Yuval Harari uh, yesterday or the day before, the, the author of Sapiens. And uh, he was going, he was saying that the thing that we need to train the most is the interior. <laughs>
0: yeah. The
1: emotional resilience and and our self-awareness and our capacity to be flexible and to, uh, m- because we'll be needing to maintain multiple careers, et cetera, et cetera, and the likelihood of your girls living for another 100 years, which means that we're looking at 2,118, which blows my mind when we think about that. Uh, and I'm, I I want to tell that story way more because I want people to start thinking about that. Yeah. I want people to start thinking that their kids are going to live until 2,118 at minimum and what are we doing about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> will, will we have a world that, we, where, that will be habitable for them and, uh, nurturing and nourishing for them at that time. So yeah, it's a very dicey area.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it just opens up the question, you know, what is it, you know, what, what will one need to be equipped with in order to be happy and content with their life and, and how they're living their life. It's just, a, it's a really fascinating thing. And, and, you know, again, I, I, who no parent really knows I, you said that i'll just kind of echo it
1: <laughs> it's i think often just the simple the really simple things treat others t- treat other people with respect treat yourself with respect be kind yeah. tell the truth yeah <laughs> clean up after yourself yeah. all of that sort of stuff yeah. <laughs> goes a long way
0: <laughs> yeah it, you, you know you 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 touch on something that's fascinating because every characteristic every quality that you just listed there that's that's baked into children i mean it's it's there from the beginning you know my daughter amelia she is just extraordinary in her sensitivity her willingness to you know tell the truth and be honest and she's just just extraordinary and and it would be fascinating just to see how life kind of takes all of that and, 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 and shapes it. And I I think resilience is, as I've learned, especially as of late, you know, resilience is really, really a key issue and, and um, maintaining that and, and bolstering that and, you know, strengthening that is, is, is really kind of the springboard to, you know, thriving.
1: Yeah. And there's, there is the, other side of that which of course is occurring in parenting these days and Jonathan Hates just published a book about this on coddling how uh I don't know when they when you were a kid but when I was a kid I remember that from the day I started school uh we we got ourselves to school and yeah. we got ourselves to school whether it was rainy it didn't matter what the weather was you either walk or ride your bike or somehow you get to school yeah. and uh and and we weren't allowed inside until five o'clock in the afternoon. It didn't matter what the weather was like. There was it was outdoors, and it was tree climbing, and it was breaking arms, and it was all of those things that uh, just it, it was just accepted. But the the preciousness of children these days, I think, and and the, the coddling, and it, it it's going to it's going to be a, a a snake that bites its own tail. That doesn't build resilience.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that you've got that going on in Australia. I mean, we certainly see it here and, you know, at school and and things like that. And I I had the same, you know, childhood and raising that you did. You know, we were at least out on the weekends all day and would get back in time, um, you know, for dinner, just to make sure we didn't get grounded and couldn't go out the next day. That yes. um, in Los Angeles, you know, our kids aren't afforded that kind of experience. And to the extent where Melina, you know, my wife has said on several occasions that just be great to be able to spend more time in Denmark. Because we're in Denmark, the, the contrast is shocking. Like the girls just because of the culture there and just because of the way people regard children and family. They're just given a lot more freedom and autonomy, and you see it in the way our girls hold themselves and carry yes. themselves. Yeah, it's it's fascinating.
1: Yes. So I'm just going to circle back to when you were a kid. Can you re, uh, first of all your relationship with vulnerability? Do you have My anything re- to say about? Yeah, have anything to say about that?
0: I would say that I have been reasonably probably uh, above average in terms of willingness to be vulnerable. You know, recent discoveries, PTS suggests that, you know, that quality is diminished at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not where it used to be, you know, and that's because I'm, you know, constantly in a mode of you know, protecting myself and staying safe. So, you know, if, if that's kind of the, the MO at the moment. It's, you're not going to be as vulnerable uh, yes. as, as you might be naturally wired to, to be.
1: Yes. Yes. And so do you remember when you were a child if, if having a sense of any part of that vulnerability, emotional quality uh, being asked to shut down? I don't. You um, don't?
0: Nice. I, I don't. my experience speaking to uh, my relationship with my mother is that I could go to my mother uh, and share anything and talk about anything with her. Mm -hmm. Um, I never, I don't recall being shut down. Now, there were certainly things that, you know, my folks weren't, weren't, going to discuss with me then probably were not age appropriate but i don't ever being i don't recall and as i'm kind of just checking with my body there's not not a part of me that ever feels like i had to stop being vulnerable at any point
1: right well lucky very nice (laughs) Uh, and so what about shame where does shame sort of sit with you
0: oh shame
1: oh shame oh shame (laughs)
0: Well, I'm exploring shame a lot right now, and yeah. the that's something that naturally arises when you experience yourself not as capable, um, not as open, or to say it another way, more cautious than you would like to be or that you have, have been historically, so that coupled with you're not producing the results, you're not operating, you're not being in the world like you know you are and can be, Mm -hmm. you can be, that. there's shame around that. Mm -hmm. There's shame around that, absolutely. You know, sense of failure, you know, with sense of failure comes shame. And what's so crazy about all of this, and this just gives you a sense of the power of the brain and the mind, is like a lot of that stuff isn't even real. Yeah. projected.
1: Yeah. So say a little bit more about that. Can you, is there, is it, do you potentially have an example that you could use that you would feel comfortable using?
0: Well, I I just start at the top. I'm not a failure of a human being.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Very good. I'm glad you know that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But, but, uh, you know, my current condition would have would suggest that I am as kind of like the the dominant experience at the moment. And I just I find that fascinating if i would gonna dip our toes quickly into just neuroscience. Yeah. Um you know once the mechanism, the survival mechanism gets activated, it's non-discriminating quality or the non-discriminating quality of how it works is amazing. Yes. You know you know, take a take a trigger event that initiated a mechanism that looks completely like different from something that's happening present time. The brain doesn't make that distinction. No. If it just senses or even slightly perceives similarity in threat, it just takes you out.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, and I think there's a whole lot around like you know people use the phrase you know you've got to got you've got to be present you've got to be fully conscious. I think they use that in a rather reckless manner. Like they, a lot of people don't even understand what, we're, what they're saying when those words come out of their mouth. And hopefully, mm-hmm. I just captured it with what I, what I just said prior to that little short, brief rant. You know, it's 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 you know, not being conscious is a function of the survival mechanism in in, in gear. Yes. Yes. It's not some yes. enlightened state. Consciousness <laughs> is not an enlightened state that you can get to. It's not Parnassus. It's not the top of the mountain.
1: Right. And so, so, uh, what you're saying or what I'm hearing you say is that we, we can, we can catch ourselves. uh, We can either hear our own interior talk saying something about I'm a failure for whatever reason. We didn't. We didn't do this, or this hasn't happened, or by the time you're forty, this hasn't happened, or what? I know all of those ones. Yeah. I know them well. Yeah. yeah. And so, and the moment we start looking at that, you go into I'm a failure, and then it sort of cycles. For me, it cycles down into this loop, and before before you even know it, you're in this black space that can happen in the, 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 um, it can happen within a couple of minutes or less. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and
1: there you are because this whole interior conversation has happened and what we have to do is go oh look I had that thought that I'm a failure and it just took me to this place and I need to see that I'm having that thought that I'm a failure I need to step away from it and go how true is that am I a failure maybe I screwed up over here but am I a failure as a human that's kind of what you're saying, yes?
0: Yeah, it's as preposterous to entertain when you just hear it out loud, right? Yes. But we silently live with yes. the opposite of that, you know?
1: Yes, yes. We, almost everybody that I know has some form of that uh, story, <coughs> excuse me, for whatever reason going on about whatever it is that's the issue of the day.
0: No, no. <laughs>
1: yes. So, so on the flip side of that, what's your, how are you viewing the, the Holy Grail of what it is to be successful?
0: How am I holding the Holy Grail? It's so interesting. I was in a conversation recently about, you know, how, how do you define success? I think success is uh, specific and unique to each individual. Yes. Um, it takes a number of different forms can be material. It can be non-material. I right now for me, success looks like, and feels like truly, truly operating from, you know, who I am from my core, from my center being, you know, kind of repaired or paired back with myself. It, yes. it, it feel it, will, it looks like and will feel like, like knowing that the actions I'm taking are truly meant for me.
1: Yes. You are making sovereign choices.
0: Yeah. Sovereign choices that are truly, truly, and I don't mean this in kind of like a woo woo airy fairy way, truly meant and intended for me. And I, in saying that, I'm pointing to that we all are unique, you know, we all are designed and take and configured in a, in a way that is specific and unique for unique to each of us, for each of us. And because of that, we're, Supposed to be doing something very specific and unique out in the world that engages and meets other people with what they're doing that's, that's specific and unique
1: yeah i it 's a beautiful way of describing it I, I I look at sort of the evolution of humanity and and if you if you have researched this sort of area which I have fifty seventy years ago the the space for this type of conversation wasn 't really there, and even before that the the conversation of who we were as an identity, etc, et etc, cetera, et cetera, was buried in in going back to patriarchal sort of religious stand that it was a few a very few people who held the uh, the power of how you should show up in the world and education and etc et etc cetera, et cetera. so this is a really we are at this really interesting time which is where we can actually ask these questions because i can our grandparents didn't get to ask what success is that's right that that wasn't something that wasn't something that was considered what you do (laughs) that that was the anomaly that came up with the the rise of the sort of self-help human development movement in the 60s and so this is a new conversation, but it's also part of, I think, part of the, the global angst, is that we're now, we now have this sort of spaciousness to inquire into who we are in the world and how do we bring our unique and wonderful and beautiful expression to the world in a way that supports the world and us. And, uh, and that, that this, again, is new territory.
0: Yeah, you know, Christine, I have to ask you, I think you referred to like the 60s or 70s. Um, But as you were talking about how this kind of emergence of success and the the definition for for what it looks like out in the world and what we should be pursuing and aspiring to, what popped up in my mind was like, it feels like there was a departure from we need to survive. And then this thing that became success. It feels like for centuries, thousands of thousands of years success meant that you survived, that you provisioned enough for yourself. Yes. And then, and and then it might be, what did you say? Sixties or seventies, it became this thing to pursue and to attain.
1: Yes. Yes, and that actually arose, you know, so so this gets a little bit more complicated, Mark, because this lives in the Western cultural ethos. It doesn't live in all other parts of the world. Okay. And this is something that um, Jeremy Lent uh, has written about in The Patterning Instinct, which is a sort of cultural history of man's search for meaning, which I've fallen in love with. Um, it's a great book. I'll put the reference in the show notes. So, in our Western meaning-making world, this is the pattern, and the pattern arose because in the sixties and seventies we actually had the economic and environmental conditions that gave us enough space to ask the questions.
0: Mm, okay. So we
1: had we had good jobs, good income, the, all of the things that that were. For for previous history were harder to come by, we had those in place, so we had the spaciousness to sit and we can watch TV, which was arose in the sixties, the late sixties. We can watch TV, or we can we can start ruminating. Why are we here? What what what's what's the point? Prior to that, that that type of thinking. As a sort of general cultural inquiry wasn't really present because we didn't have the conditions in which we could that that question could arise. And so, so it's so interesting that it's where it is right now. And yet we're in this deterioration of environmental conditions. Yeah. And yet the memory of what it was like to be in a a thriving society where there was a, a, a very healthy middle class is still very alive within our community. And so it's all of this sort of cultural, we're in the cultural trade winds of multiple influencing going on and we're caught in that. And it's no wonder people are... The, the the issues of mental health and so on are arising is and and then within all of that of course is the the gender issues and and what it means to be a man because everyone's roles are shifting and it's as you have pointed out with your girls it's going to continue to change and go faster because of the rise of machines and etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah. <laughs> Resilience, training, <laughs> <laughs> emotional intelligence, community, you know, let's come together and work and hold each other up in these in these trade winds, because the island, the isolated island of doing it is uh, both a, an illusion and, and doesn't work.
0: Hear, hear. I agree. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I, which is what, which is what, you know, common is all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, not that we have to end here, but in the beginning of our conversation, you asked me about my definition of masculinity, right? Yes. Yes. So it has emerged and it's so funny that it takes an hour in conversation with somebody <laughs> like yourself for it to reappear for me, and this is something that has been, my definition has been with me for as long as I can remember, but it's just fascinating how it has to be evoked. I'm using that word nice. intentionally.
1: Yes. Um,
0: you know, my definition of ma- uh, masculinity is, is love. Not in this, you know, the stupid sense, you know, the flippant sense, but in the ability yes. to create experiences that produce the experience of love and connection.
1: Right. So love and connection. I don't want to leave the connection piece out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when I am doing that, when I'm being that, that sense of separation for myself and everybody I'm engaged with drops away and love emerges and deep connection is present and felt.
1: Yes. Yes. And within that you can also be dare I say, the strong man, Mm -hmm. the strong black man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And because uh, the the perfection of of anything in universe is that there is uh, the requirement for that as well as the yielding. Yes. From both, from all of us, you know, not, there's not, not delineated by your gender. It's men, um, men, 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 yielding men are as wonderful as yielding women in different areas. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the magic of the dance. Yeah. 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 Really I nice.
0: Lo- I love that word yielding. I'm glad you plucked that out of the universe. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it, well, it, there's a there's a graciousness to it that is yeah. it's not relinquishing sovereignty, uh, so it's not the domination. It's not sort of not the domination, but it, yeah, I, I see it as a as a dance. It, it's wonderful. I s- spent some time in both Buenos Aires and, and Brazil, and and I, I went from one culture to the next on a plane ride. But the Braz- the the Argentinian culture is is the tango which is that very upright, strong, and the men and the, the way the men and the women uh, dance together is just this, um, you, you, you can visualise it, of course, but it's that very proud, upright. And then the Brazilians are down and it's all hips and earth and sort of ground, ground grinding. <laughs> you, get the, you get what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's, a, it's just such a perfect description of the balance of cultures, these are neighbors with each other essentially, and 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 you see the, the representation of the culture in the two expressions of how they dance. But the the tango in its own way has a yielding the the, um, the samba of course is all <laughs> yielding. <laughs> and so just looking at that as a as an expression of how power moves and dances. So I use the reference dance. Um, yeah, I think we're all of that. I think we're tango and samba. Mm,
0: it's great, very, <laughs> very vivid. I'm like, just seeing it so clearly in my mind.
1: Yeah, and and women need to. It's it's men and women. We're tango and samba, but on um, different days and different times. And it's the it's the beautiful dance that we bring together that makes it extraordinary. So thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> and uh, never know where it's going to go but I have really enjoyed where it's going and uh, so thank you Mark for being here
0: you're welcome I have loved every moment of it thank you for just allowing me to participate and be part of this it's it's great thank you
1: lovely to listen to
0: more of these conversations and access the show notes visit 223am.com That's the number 2, the number 2, the number 3am.com and experience a whole new kind of success and fulfillment. If you've got what it takes, experience a session directly with Dr. Christine McDougall. Visit 223am.com and apply now. Thanks for listening.